0: Well, you guys have already heard the kids this morning, so I'm going to talk loud and so that you, you will hear me instead of them, maybe. I don't know if I really talk that loud or not, but, but it's really a good sound. It's kind of a struggle for us because I know it can be distracting, but really, if you think about it, it's a blessing. Because what's happening in there right now is that those kids are learning about Jesus. They're not learning to be moral student, moral little kids, although we want them to be obedient. They're learning about the love of God. And so, through Jesus Christ. And so, we've we've challenged, we've faced the challenge of finding good gospel-centered curriculum. They're learning a lesson about how Jesus is the answer in everything. And out of that, as they develop a love for Christ, we know that they will begin to obey because that's what we do, right? When we love Christ, we want to obey Him. So, that's what we're striving to do, and that's why it's a blessing. And so, I know it's a distraction. All the good seats are open over here. I don't know why people hang out on the left side because it is louder over there. But, hey... Maybe you, maybe you enjoy the blessing. Uh, let, let's go ahead and get started. We get, we're in a series, Crosswords. Um, and this series has really brought us to a place where we're looking at the reason we are able to be worshipers. We've been in this series all the way through the year, and I'm not going to go over it all right now. But the reality is, is there's been a series that we've kind of followed that has challenged us to, to hear the call to worship, to recognize that Jesus is the object of our worship, and now, what makes us able to stand and worship how How can we even imagine that we, a broken and fallen people, could stand before a holy and just and righteous God and be and, and, and provide acceptable worship? Uh, really, it should be a question we ask more often than maybe we do, but the reality is today we 're really going to deal with substitutes and how we substitute in our culture all kinds of things, and I, just to get it started to kind of kind of start off a little light because it's going to get heavy and I want to start off light and then get heavy because it's going to be heavy but the reality is, is we do substitute a lot of things and so I started doing some research and here's what I I know everybody doesn't substitute the same kinds of things but here's some illustrations of things I found in my own life that I substitute and struggle with and have struggled with in the past and so margarine and butter do you know that most people and even the American Heart Association would have you substitute margarine for butter. Now I brought some pictures and I just want you to compare what we we're substituting one for the other. And and don't don't hear me saying that one's better than the other. I'm not the American Heart Association, so eat it at your own risk. But look look at margarine. Look at the ingredients, the list of ingredients. We can't even Uh, pronounce half of those things most of us without going to school and getting a degree and i really appreciate that it says contains milk waste soy but it's gluten-free so if you've got a problem with uh, what is it isn't that wheat products or yeah you you can eat margarine as much of it as you want (laughs) and you'll be okay but let's go now to butter i mean let's just compare what we're substituting cream salt Oh and this contains milk just in case you're lactose intolerant it contains if you didn't know it already butter has milk in it that's its base ingredient and we're we're substituting a chemical product for something that's natural you you do what you want take it on yourself i am not i'm not advising but i can tell you if you've ever eaten cookies made with margarine and then somebody's giving you a cookie made with butter you know the difference, don't you? Yeah. Come on, you know it. It's better. I don't even know that this is a good substitute, but we do it. We do it. Okay, well, let's just keep going. It's not just butter. I'm guilty of this, man. I've grown a fa- an affinity for Splenda. I don't know what it is, I, and I don't, I don't really care for Splenda in anything but my coffee. You put it in soda, ruins it. You put it in Kool-Aid, and it it's okay for a day or two. But something happens if you let Splenda sit in Kool-Aid. It gets, like, really, really sweet. It gets sweeter, and then it's almost too much. I've tried it because I thought, man, this is great in coffee. It would be good in something else. And we, we, we trade Splenda, something fake, and, and I, didn't, I didn't even try to get the ingredients to Splenda because you know what it is, right? I mean, it's, it's fake sugar. It's sugar that they brought to a factory, and they did a bunch of work on it, and then they sent it out and said, it'll still make, this, it'll still make things sweet enjoy but we we trade it all the time for something that comes out sweet you know it just it's it's that way sugar imagine i I mean some of the food things you think about it some of the food things we trade off turkey bacon for real bacon you realize that turkeys don't have any bacon on them right i mean it's not real It's not, there's nothing real about it. And if you look at the ingredients on those, it's like mechanically separated meat. You eat that all you want and feel good because you're eating less calories than if you're eating pork bacon. But I'm going to tell you, just so you know, it is not real. You cannot get bacon from a turkey. It's not going to happen without doing something to it. It's not just food, though. I, I find that I struggle with relationships. I'm a very relational person. I actually enjoy speaking with people and hanging out with people. But the reality is I'm also a very lazy person. I didn't get looking like this being energetic. Just saying. It's the truth. And so you know what I've, what I've found that I do? I trade off relationships with people for, for just spending time on Facebook. Oh, come on. You know you do it too. We would rather know about people than know people. So we spend a lot more time, many of us, on Facebook than with a group of friends hanging out face-to-face because we'd really rather know. We substitute knowing about people for knowing people. And then we pass it off like, man, it's great keeping in touch with you. We don't even talk. We just read each other's posts and look at each other's pictures and judge from afar and laugh at them when things go, you know, not so good sometimes. Or, Or maybe we feel a little bad. And we send them a little note on Facebook praying for you. Man, that's about, I appreciate prayer. Don't hear me saying that I don't. I appreciate prayer, but that's about as far from loving someone as you can really get. When you're so, you know, and I get it, people are far away, but there's a lot of people here that we treat this way, isn't there? It's the truth. But it's not just our relationships. I mean, the reality is, is that the things that motivate our relationships, we settle for a substitute. We'd rather, instead of real, honest love, we're driven by lust. In many cases, that's what drives us to some, some desire. And that doesn't have to be sexual. Some desire drives us, some some lustful desire to fulfill some selfish need drives us to connect with people. In many cases, it is sexual. Guys, the thing that drives guys in many cases is not to love a woman, but to bed the woman. Women, that's the truth. Own it. Know it. Please, especially if you're single, hear it. Many of the guys that are going to pursue you are not after you to love you, but to bed you. And look at the styles that that the women wear today. And I I know that, I I recognize that many women do this without even thinking about it. But women often tease to receive the attention because they'll they'll settle for being wanted rather than loved. They'll settle for being desired rather than loved. I'm thankful it's cold outside today because nobody has to feel bad. Everybody was kind of wrapped up anyway and there's no nobody doing any but the reality is you go on a college campus go to the mall look at our magazine ads look at who we who we uh, who we put up in places of of uh, or positions of attention that that, that that we say these are the people that are famous and that we give our money and our time and our attention to it's the truth it's our culture and I The reality is, I'm not necessarily trying to make us feel terrible, terrible about this. But the reality is, we, we probably should feel a little bad about it. Because the reality is, is that I'm a parent who's passing these kinds of things off to my children. And my parents pass it off to me. And their parents pass it off to them. And their parents pass it off to them. And the reality is this, is that this kind of substitution and substituting has been going on all along. All the way back to the very first substitution. You know what that first substitution was? When Adam and Eve decided to eat a piece of fruit that would rot and fade, instead of continue to walk in a garden with an amazing and beautiful and wonderful God. You see, the reality is this is that we desired a substitution. We wanted something better. And the truth is, the ironic, ironic truth is that now we desperately need a substitution. We we wanted it. We, we, we wanted it. And we could say, oh, well, if I was Adam or if I was Eve, that wouldn't have been me. Don't fool yourself. See, because the, the substitutions, even if they're not sinful substitutions, even if it's just the ones that taste better than others, you know, there are shadows of us always desiring to substitute what we have for what we want or think is better. It's intrinsic to who we are. It's instinctual to us. We're always looking for that better thing, substituting. And the irony is, is that now we absolutely need a substitute. And today in, in the, the passage that we're going to study, this fourth word of the cross the word of anguish. We're going to find out why that substitution was made. We're going to find out what the substitution accomplished, and we're going to find out how it was completed. So, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 27, 45 through 46, is where we're going to be at. We're going to read a lot of other scripture. It's all on the screen. If you have smart devices, get online and, and look for us at the U Version, uh, the, the Bible app U Version Live, and, and we're there. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link out there. You can click on that. But that's where we're going to be, and, and I just would encourage you to stick with us as we read these passages of Scripture today. Matthew chapter twenty-seven, forty-five through 46. From the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, let me sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had been hanging from the cross already for some time. He'd been there, and, and from that vantage point, He didn't quit being our Savior. It's a beautiful testimony to who Jesus was in His person and in His divinity. He didn't stop doing what He came to do as He hung there. But He looked down, and He sees depravity, and He cries out for His Father's forgiveness. And He looks, he looks across, and He hears this thief cry out in repentance Bring me, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise, providing salvation to the repentant. And then he looks down from his vantage point and he sees his mom and his disciple, the disciple who he loved. And he gives them to one another. And and we see the benefits and the affection that Jesus has for his people. And at some point after that happens, Jesus is hanging there and darkness falls. This supernatural darkness falls. Plenty of people try to say, well, it was an eclipse. And, and other scientists have gone back and tried to track the lunar stuff back to the, when they think that the, that the, that the uh, crucifixion occurred. And they say, well, there was no eclipse. There was, it wasn't even the right time of year for it and these kinds of things. And the reality is this. Even if it had been an eclipse... It happened at just the right time. And honestly, I don't know of an eclipse that lasts three hours. Just saying. But if it had been an eclipse, it happened just at the right time. And darkness fell on the land. And Jesus hung there in agony, physically suffering. But in this statement... In this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We find out that there's more going on at the cross than meets the eye. See, Jesus wasn't the only one hanging from a cross that day. He wasn't the only one that had probably probably not the only one that had been beaten before he came to the cross. He's likely not the only one that didn't look forward to the pain and suffering that the cross would bring. There was two other people suffering on either side of him. The only difference between him and the criminals is that at one point, both criminals got to point the finger at Jesus and make fun of him so that they weren't receiving ridicule from the crowd physically. But here in this moment, we see that there is one stark difference that none of us, none of us could have bore. You see, in this moment when Jesus cries out, this three hours of darkness as He hangs there suffering in His Spirit, that was the moment with which Jesus asked the Father to let the cup pass. That was the moment that I think Jesus had His Spirit in agony the night before in the garden when when He prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from Me, but not my will, but yours be done. See, I think it's this moment that was on his mind and the weight of this moment that was on his mind as he began to sweat drops of blood. You see, the physical suffering that Jesus suffered on the cross wasn't that much greater than any other person has ever suffered on a cross. It was horrendous. It was excruciating. But what happened in these three hours as he hung there? I think it was almost too much for him to bear. But he bore it. Now, I'm not about to tell you, don't even think that I'm going to come close to be able to tell you that we can understand the mystery of all that occurred in this moment. Some of the commentators I read from, I mean, they're good, solid people, but some of, them, some of these commentaries I've read from as I've studied for these passages, and, and, and I've studied this passage before, have tried to give explanation as if we can understand this infinite work of God occurring in this moment on the cross. I, I can no better explain to you what's happening exactly in this moment than I could tell you exactly how to understand the Trinity the three persons, three eternally distinct persons being one. But Scripture doesn't leave us in a place where we don't get a glimpse of what occurred. In fact, in Hebrews, I'm sorry, not Hebrews. We'll go first to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. Who knew knew no sin? Jesus knew no sin. Who made Him sin? God made Him sin. Somehow, in this moment, on the cross, Jesus, who was sinless, who was perfect, who had never committed a wrong in His life, was made to be revolting. Was made to be despised. Was made to be filthy and impossible for His Father to look upon. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting Him. Jesus hung there in the dark experiencing this, bearing the sins of His people, not just the people that were standing upon the, or by the cross that received forgiveness, but the people who He had known from times past. The people who are alive today and who have been alive since His death resurrection. It's us. It's His children. as His people. Our sins are being placed on Him. He is bearing the weight of your sin. It's not just ours and it's not just theirs. But it's until the moment that He comes back. He's going to appear again. You hear it in Hebrews. He's coming back. But until that day, every person that comes to faith, every person that trusts in Christ, their sin is taken and heaved upon Him. And that is a weight that I don't think any of us could handle. The truth is, we can't really even handle our own. And Jesus had it all placed upon Him. And so in this figurative sense, we know that God's not a body, and He's not man like us, but in a figurative sense... The father turns from his son and he shows him his back and the, and the son is hanging there longing for the warmth and the smile of his father's face. The first time in all of eternity that they've experienced any kind of separation and the wedge is driven by your sin and my sin and the sins of his people from before and the sins that will come. A separation driven by us. I told you it was going to get heavy. my god my god it's almost too hard to even consider and think about to feel it to know that this is what happened for you and for me well why why would he do it why why would he substitute himself and jesus acted as our substitute Because our lives have been ravaged by sin. You see, here's the reality. Here's here's what you and I don't like to admit about ourselves, but we are a depraved people outside of Christ. We we don't like to own this. We we like to point around the world and look at people and say they're good people. That's a lie. There are no good people outside of our Savior and Christ, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one good. No, not one. No one good. Sin. We need to know sin is not just about what we do that we shouldn't do. Certainly, we can act in sin. Sin is not just about not doing what we should be doing. Certainly, we can sin by not doing what we're called to do. But sin is a disease that eats us up from the inside out. We are sinners. And therefore, we don't do the things we should do. And we do the things we shouldn't do. Our nature is sin. It is our instinct. In fact it's because we sin or because we're sinners that we sin. It's it this is the not the chicken before the egg argument that we can't figure out which one comes first. For you and for me we are sinners. And you so you know what's going to happen? You're going to sin. We're going to fall short of God's glory. And because of that it is impossible for us to do for ourselves what Jesus was doing for us. We had to have a substitute. We had to have a substitute because sin had separate us, separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 1-2, through two, excuse me, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear is dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Look, this is is what sin has done since the very first sin was committed. And the first separation you see in the Bible, we don't physically hear about the separation between God and man until after we hear about a physical separation between the man and the woman. Genesis chapter 2 ends with the man and the woman being naked and not ashamed. And they sin. And you know the first thing that happens after they sin and eat the fruit? They realized they were naked and they covered up. They felt shame in one another's presence. A wedge is driven between them. They cover up, and all of a sudden, there's secrets and they're hiding from one another. And we try to hide in sin all the time, substitute it. However, you want to say it, it's what we do. It separates us. That's why Facebook is so popular because it's so much easier to keep up with people from a distance because of our sin, we're separated from God. We're not able to walk in relationship with Him as it was intended. That's, that's what we were created for. We were created to walk in His presence. We were created to walk and know Him intimately. And we're not able to do that anymore because sin has so desperately separated us from Him. Sin has earned us death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the, you see the separation, death, that doesn't sound good. I mean, if we could say that the wages of sin are, I'm going to send you away for a little while, but I'll, I'll welcome you back in a year or two. You know, we'd feel okay about that. I'm going, to get, I'm going to speed and do whatever I want on the road because I know I'm just going to get a fine, maybe a couple hundred bucks, and I'll just take that out of savings and we'll be all right. You know, that, those, kind of, those kind of wages, those kind of earnings, they don't scare us. The wages of sin are death. Not good. Not good at all. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The substitution he made as he as he stood in our place. As he stood in our place doing for us what we couldn't do. He brings to us this free gift. The truth is that death, and that's where we walk, it leads to more death. It, it's, it's what happens. We don't have any ability to cleanse ourselves. We don't have any ability to make ourselves right. We can't invent a way to to, to cross this barrier. It's not going to happen. Last night, I was thinking about this last night as I was at my uh, mother-in-law's house, and we had a birthday dinner for my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. And while we were there, their youngest son is still in diapers and I'm just gonna, I am just—I won't be too graphic, but he dropped one in that diaper that about ran everybody out of the house. That's what sin does. It smells so nasty. It is so filthy. We don't want to be anywhere around it, really. Or we shouldn't be. God won't have anything to do with it. Ask a parent. You don't keep those dirty diapers in the house, do you? we get rid of them we, we don't want them in the house I don't even I don't, if, if I go out to my trash and somebody has put a dirty diaper in my trash can outside I can't wait for the day that the trash comes so that I don't have to smell it every time I open the trash can because my kids don't they don't do that anymore at least not that I know of but I mean that's what we do we want to get rid of it right but here's the thing, is, is the reality is, is that if, if, if we were to try and do that, we would be like Daxton, my, my nephew, trying to clean himself up and hand the dirty diaper to the person that could do something about it. All we have to offer is dirty diapers. Paul illustrated it that way in Philippians when he said, all I got is rubbish. But when you go back to the original translation, the original language, he's talking a pile of Manure. We're going to dig in the manure and hand it up. Oh, God, accept it. I got something good for you. It's pretty ripe. That's what you got. Jesus was your substitute because you can't do anything for yourself. We needed a substitute because we desired a substitute. Why did he do it because we needed him to it was the only way it was going to happen God had decided to forgive us. God had decided to make a way But he couldn't look to anyone here He had to send his very own son So jesus substitution also satisfies god's holiness his justice and wrath how or what did what did jesus accomplish on the cross He satisfied God's holiness, His justice, and His wrath. God, His wrath is justified. I was talking with some people this week, and and this lady got upset with me because as I confronted her with her sin, she she said, I condemned her. No, your sin condemns you. You condemn yourself. When you sin, you're condemned. Don't get mad at me just because I'm gracious enough to point it out. I'll tell you mine. This isn't the right place to do it, but come and talk with me. I'll tell you mine. Let's own it, walk in it, and strive to get out from it. That's not my condemnation. The condemnation comes from God. It's His holiness, His justice, His wrath that you've sinned against, that you've deserved. It's His holiness and justice that you've sinned against. It's His wrath that you deserve. The reality is, is that if God had in this moment decided, you know what, I want to save people. Let's forget sin. Let's just forget about it, sweep it under the rug. Imagine the lump that we'd be tripping over every time we walked across that rug. I got enough to keep the rug from laying on the floor. You probably do too. We'd probably have to get another room. We we probably couldn't even go in there. But here here it is, you know. Jesus hanging on the cross in that moment, allowing Himself to be forsaken by His Father. Man. So that God remains holy. So that God remains perfect. So that God's wrath is absorbed. So that God's wrath is stopped. Listen to Romans three twenty three through 26. Most of you will know if you're good Christian folks that have been around for a while, you're going to know 323, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that verse, right? But listen to what it says. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where does it come from? Where does redemption happen? Where where is this gift of grace? It's through Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfaction, a covering by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's what? righteousness god is so perfect he's so righteous he's so holy he doesn't even give jesus a pass not even his own son gets a pass now you guys know those kind of parents that they were always wanting to give their children a pass i know we don't have any of those in our church but you know the kind that their kids are better than anybody else's and they won't say this right to your face but they really think that your kid is worse than theirs because their kid never does anything wrong. And it's always everyone else's fault. God's so holy and righteous and just. He's not about to do that. All the sins of his people from the past. All the sins of his people from the present. All the sins of his people from the future lumped on Jesus where he is bearing the weight of them all. No pass. And God remains righteous. And it goes on to say, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just. No one can ever look at God and say He didn't do what was necessary to be done. He is just And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, you stand in a place when God looks at you and says, You are clean. He has taken all of your sin and he's called you just because he has called his son a sinner. Own that for a minute. That's big. It's huge. It's ours. That's our story. And, and, and 23, verse 23 keeps us from even thinking that there's one that escapes this. This levels the playing field. This is speaking about every person that will ever come in faith. Do you know why we're not going to stand in a place and, and I'm not going to act like I'm better than you? And I hope you don't act like you're better than me. Otherwise, I'll tell you about it. Because I stand in grace. I am saved by God's grace. I I won't lie, my my motives, I struggle with my motives. I strive to, to peek my head out above people so I can get a pat on the back and I can look good in front of other people. I struggle with those motives, but I can tell you that the work of God in my heart is to glorify Him because He has saved me by His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. I hope that's your attitude. You are just because the just one justified you. Own it. That's that's what christ accomplished on the cross. He didn't just go to the cross for us He went to the cross for his father and now let's just consider this How did it happen? How did he accomplish this work? Jesus substitution is given in faithful obedience. I don't know if you've ever suffered much Some people I know when I met with my wife She thought she'd struggled and then she got to know my family and saw some of the stuff that we dealt with and it I'm, not saying anything bad about it. I'm just saying our junk was because we were stupid and sinful people and we, we suffered because of that. It was our fault in many ways. Some of it was put on us, but the reality is, is that much of it we own. It's our fault. But when she met our family, she's like, oh my goodness. When she heard my testimony, she thought she didn't even have one. And I was like, no, you got a story. You got a testimony. Every one of us have a testimony. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It's the truth. But, but the thing is, is that When we suffer, oftentimes, I I will never forget this, as long as I live, because God has now forgiven me for it and he's given me victory over it. I struggled at this point in my life. My life was miserable. It was falling apart. I was empty inside it, and I was angry, and I basically flipped God the finger and I walked the other way because I couldn't believe that he was letting me deal with what I was dealing with. I'm just going to tell you that, What I dealt with was nothing in comparison with what his son dealt with on the cross. And instead of screaming curses at God, he cries out, my God, my God. Knowing that the only hope he has is his father in heaven. My God, my God. We see the depth of the faith of, of the, of the Father's Son. We see the depth of the faith of Jesus Christ and what His Father has called Him to do. This isn't going to end me. This isn't going to stop me being from being Your Son. I know that there's more to come. I know that there's joy set before me. I know that You have a plan. I know that I'm in Your hand. I know that I'm in Your power. My God, my God. Instead of leave me be. Just let me die. The faith of the Son and the power and the provision of His Father. That's how it got done. Because Jesus was faithful when none of us ever could have been. And here's the the thing to take from this. Never again wonder if Jesus knows what you're going through. Never again wonder if he knows the weight of suffering. God came and suffered for you. He came to be your substitute and suffer in ways you never would have held up under. And I know life is difficult. I know life is hard. I know at times we don't know the answer. We don't know what's next. We don't know how we're going to get through the day but He does. He does. And because His Son was faithful, you can know the One that knows what's next. So we see it. We see why Jesus did it. We see what He accomplished as a substitute. And we see how He accomplished it. Let me just close with two ideas about this, uh, about this um, perspective, just for practical application. Well, just so you know, the the doctrine that we've just dealt with is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. That's for those of you that are doctrinal and you feel like nothing's going to be done right until something doctrinal is said. There you go. There's your theological term. Go home happy. All right. But here it is practically. Don't settle for a substitute. Jesus' substitution provides real hope and his sacrifice defines love. So I want you, I want to, I want to close with these two thoughts because in this moment on the cross this substitutionary atonement this substitutionary work that Jesus was doing is the reason that you and I can can look forward to tomorrow. That we have a hope of something better. It's the reason, and it defines our love. Listen to these words first from 1 Peter as he wrote to a church that suffered much more greatly than you and I have ever suffered for being Christians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I was writing to a, le- a letter to a suffering church, I'm just going to be honest. I, I think I'd start out with, man, I'm sorry you guys are dealing with such difficulty. That's not where Peter starts. Peter's mature enough by this point and, and, and loves God enough that he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Notice, notice the difference of what we had to look forward to to what was substituted for in the beginning a rotting, dying, fading piece of fruit so that they could have a little knowledge. And in Jesus, it's all put right to an inheritance that's imperishable. That piece of fruit will never rot. It's undefiled. It is not covered with sin and a lack of trust in God and a desire to be in His place. It's unfading. It will always be like new. And we're not going to wake up one morning and think, well, I need a new truck. This mansion in heaven's just not big enough for me anymore. I hope the guys from Duck Dynasty are there so I can have a little of their money and build another one, do some of the fun things they do. That's not what we're going to be thinking. Give me a ditch in heaven. Come on, that's fine with me. It's going to be great. It's going to be worth celebrating. You know what? I I don't even need a room. Just let me in. Please let me in. Just to be able to walk in his presence. To see the one that came to be a substitute for me. To stand in the radiant glory of the God who spoke us into existence. Whew. Can you wake up? Can you imagine waking up one morning? God, you're not enough anymore. It's not going to happen. It will be unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. It is is being kept for you who by God's power are being guarded. Do you hear that? This isn't true if, if, if you get it figured out and do it just right. It's not true when you get all the pieces of the puzzle together. This is true because it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. I mean, you got God's power guarding you through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the hope we have. Don't let this world get you down. There's a better day coming. And the defining measure of this substitution is love. Don't settle for a substitute. The, the defining measure of what Jesus did, the defining motive was love first john three sixteen. by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers the brothers that's the church remember that's who put who god put together but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in truth and in deed Man, we are so bad about settling for a substitute. That's why I called you at the beginning. Ladies, do not substitute for, for a guy who lusts after you and doesn't want to love you. Guys, don't pursue a woman because you want a better instead of a lover. Husbands, don't even think about not loving your wife as Christ loved the church, or at least striving for it. Wives, don't accept your husband's desire over his love. Those are poor substitutes, and the Christ that saved us has enabled us to love one another as he has loved. And he has given us a hope that as we struggle to love one another that way, Even when it's difficult, we know there's a day coming when it will be made possible with ease. Because Jesus came and took me off of my dung heap. He came and He took you off of your dung heap and He placed you in His spotless, righteous position. And He climbed up on your pile of dung and He stood there and He took it for you. He accepted God's wrath that you could stand in his presence. What a beautiful story. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, thank you for forsaking him so that I can stand here and proclaim your goodness. In the the immortal words of that most famous poet, Chris Tomlin, you guys have heard of him, I am forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I am accepted because you were condemned. It almost sings itself, doesn't it? I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Let's pray. Father, we know we're not worthy except in your estimation we know that it's only by your desire for us and your love for us that we can call you our own we know god that if it weren't for you that we would be left in the cold we know we we know god would you in this moment just speak to us through your spirit for those of us that belong to you god would you speak to us and just Help us deal with the the heaviness of this moment. Because I know, God, I know that there's a bitterness to it. I know. But I also know that because of the truth is that, that you did this for a purpose. You did it for a grand scheme. You did it by your plan, God. That there comes celebration and sweetness. That we might rise in celebration. That we might rise in awe and wonder and worship. Because you chose to give us a substitute because you chose to stand in our place to send your Son to provide that great exchange. God, I would pray, I'm confident that there are people in the room that have maybe said they trusted you, maybe said a prayer when they were a little kid, or God, I know that there's people in this room that have never known you. I'm confident. I feel it, Father. I I, I feel like we just need to take this time. God, please, please, through your spirit, will you show them the truth? We are sinners fallen, desperately in need, with nothing to offer but our dirty filth. But through your son, Jesus Christ, we can be made clean. God, we... We just love you. We thank you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name.